Hey, y'all, you're listening to the Join the Journey podcast with your host, Emma Dodder. To learn more about today's reading or to read along with us, check out jointhejourney.com. Thanks for joining. Have you ever believed a lie that says you've got to clean yourself up before you can come to God? As I was reflecting on today's chapter, Hebrews 7, that question brought to mind a season in my early 20s when really that idea about cleaning yourself up before you can come to God weighed down heavily on my heart. And the enemy began to feed me this really twisted idea that I let fester. And the lie I was believing was essentially that when it came to my sin as a believer, there was a certain amount of tolerance God had. And I believed I was exceeding the tolerable amount of sin. And I'm doing air quotes with my hand. I genuinely found myself in this place where I believed this lie. If my sin surpassed a certain amount or a certain frequency, I'd need to go X amount of time without doing that specific sin or having that specific sinful thought in order for God to want to draw near to me or to use me in ministry. That was the lie. I knew sin separates us from God. I knew sin is damaging to our relationship with God and damages our relationships with people. And I knew Jesus had paid the price for my sin. He wasn't holding it against me. But somehow, the enemy just got me to believe this lie that when I really boiled it down, I believed God wouldn't use me or I wouldn't ever feel close to God until I cleaned up my act on my own strength nonetheless, which turns out is impossible. I was just stuck in this really low season where I thought I couldn't be close to God or be used by Him until I went some arbitrary amount of time without sinning, which is crazy because we're broken people who sin all the time. So life just felt impossible. But in that season, that's where my heart and mind was, believing that my sin, which had separated me from God, was continuing to separate me from God in such a way that I could only regain closeness to Him if I pulled myself up by my bootstraps and willed myself to be better. Have you ever been there? Ever felt like you're just not measuring up or felt like God is so far? Maybe you've gotten so frustrated with yourself because you just keep messing up. And the thing is, all of those feelings are real. I bet we've all had those days or weeks or months. Honestly, some of us have probably had bad years where we've felt like we're backsliding or just can't get things right. And those seasons are part of the reality that comes with a bunch of broken people living on a broken planet. But internally, they don't always have to be as troublesome as as the enemy wants us to believe. It's not that sin isn't a big deal. But you see, when we have a right understanding of who Jesus is— our attitudes and beliefs and thoughts when we when we miss the mark and make mistakes are different when we see Jesus rightly. Because when we lose sight of who Jesus is, we start to believe a lot of really toxic lies. When we mess up and forget who Jesus is, we think we need to redeem ourselves through better behavior. or We believe we need to make it up to God in the same way we might try to make it up to a friend if we cancel plans or something. When we mess up and forget who Jesus is, we start to believe that the chasm that separated us from God prior to our salvation is returning, and we might believe God's tallying up our sins, holding them against us like a strict teacher recording our performance on a report card. When we lose sight of Jesus, really poor theology starts to creep in. And as I meditated on Hebrews 7, I realized it contains the exact reminders we need in those seasons— Who is Jesus on our worst days? And 
As I was seeking to better understand Hebrews 7, I actually had to jump back to Hebrews 6. So summarizing the end of that chapter, the writer recalls God's promises to Abraham. Abraham waited patiently for God to come through on his promises, and eventually he did. And you've probably heard people say things like, I swear to God, or so help me God, or um, something like that. And that's not what the writer is encouraging. But he points out that when people are trying to make convincing promises or arguments, there's a custom where they, quote unquote, swear on, on things that seem bigger than themselves. And in Genesis 22, 16, the writer of Hebrews points out, God actually swore on himself when he made those promises to Abraham. He made an oath, the verse says, I solemnly swear by my own name, decreed the Lord. Things looked pretty bad for Abraham at times. It seemed impossible that he'd have a child, but God came through. He kept his word. And in chapter 6, verse 17, the writer points out that when God wanted to more convincingly show just how unchangeable and unbreakable his promises are, the writer says he made an oath. And when people are trying to make convincing promises or arguments, they swear on things that seem bigger than themselves. And then when people make really serious commitments, they take an oath. It's like the ultimate guarantee of someone's someone's word. There's a a Taylor Swift song that I that came to mind. It's for sure a breakup song. And th- there's this line in it when she says, "You kept me like a secret, but I kept you like an oath." And what's she insinuating? Secrets are shared, promises can be broken, but oaths That's the real deal, a serious commitment never to be broken. Like when new presidents take an oath of office, they're weighty. So what's the writer of Hebrews getting at? God's in it for the long haul. He keeps his promises. So that's when, and I promise we'll get to today's chapter, we get to really my three favorite verses in all of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things, that's God's promises and the oath, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge, we who face hard circumstances, lies, challenges, oppositions, we might have strong encouragement or strong proof or reason to hold fast to trust and cling to, the hope set before us. What is the hope set before us? Verse 19, the most famous verse in all of Hebrews, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. What's this? A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. What does it mean that a hope enters into the inner place? Well, Verse 20 tells us it's where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Why is that good news? Well, that's where chapter 7 picks up. It's where chapter 7 comes into play. We talked about Melchizedek a lot in chapter 5. So if you want some commentary on that part of today's chapter, I'd encourage you to refer back to episode 136. But for time's sake, we're going to skip that portion. So here's the deal. Back in the Old Testament, God's people, they were living under what's called the Old Covenant. So think all the stereotypical rules of the Bible, priests, they made sacrifices on behalf of the people's sins, all that. But priests would change. Generations of priests throughout the years made sacrifices. Now, unlike the priests of old, 
Jesus would never quit or will never quit being the high priests. The former priests, they'd come and go, they'd die, and the role was passed down through generations. But Jesus, he defeated death. The Old Testament priests, they had to make sacrifices for their own sins in addition to the sins of the people. But Jesus, he was and is without sin. The Old Testament priests, they'd tie a rope around their feet when they went into the holiest part of the tabernacle or temple where God's presence dwelt, just in case they died due to their unholiness and possible failure to comply with the law. But Jesus, he's proof of God's oath, perfect, the better covenant. He, chapter 7, verse 25, is able to save those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for us. He, verse 27, has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. So why do we, as chapter 6 says, why do we have reason to believe we can count on God's promises regarding Jesus? Why can we come to God when we mess up or life feels hopeless? We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Jesus permanently holds the role of high priests and always lives to intercede on our behalf and has no need to offer sacrifices since he himself is the ultimate sacrifice. It's 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered once for sins— the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. I'm going to read that again. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Previously, the priests, they could never bring the people to God. They'd they'd be mediators between God and man. But now, because Jesus is the better priest, because he continually intercedes for us, because he lives forever, is without sin, and was the ultimate sacrifice, he brings us to God. Yes, in a salvation sense, that that moment when you repent from your sin and first place your trust in Christ's life, death, burial, and resurrection, but also every single day when Just like Abraham, life looks bleak or it seems impossible for God to come through or when God calls us to do something scary like sacrificing Isaac or when we mess up like when Abraham lied about Sarah being his wife. In those moments, we have a high priest who has already paid the price for our sins. More sacrifices aren't needed. We can enter into God's presence continually, unlike the Israelites, because we have a high priest who has already taken care of the sins that get in the way of our relationship with God. We can enter God's presence even on our worst days because Jesus is already there, having paid the price, interceding for us. Thanks for listening. And as always, I'm so glad we're on this journey reading the Bible together. Thanks for listening. Did you know you can help support Join the Journey by rating and reviewing this podcast? Leaving a review helps others more easily find the podcast and read along with us. So we'd love your help.